Good morning, you're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. The program is Subject ACT. For the next 30 minutes, we explore local current affairs with a community focus. It's Monday the 30th of May. I'm Becca Posterino. Polish refugee Misha Singh made Canberra her home in the 1960s. As a refugee of World War II, Misha was able to survive with the support of human rights agencies, enabling her to relocate and eventually resettle in a new country. Forcibly removed from her home in Poland, Misha's story begins in 1940 as an eight-year-old girl. In the bitter cold, carrying only a few possessions, Misha and her family travelled in a dirty train, usually reserved for cattle, and for a year lived in a Russian prison camp. Misha's story reveals how human beings displaced by war and despite limited language can find a new life with the agency of a willing community. Stay with us now as we hear Misha's story. I'm Becca Postorino on Subject ACT. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. Lovely to have your company. My name is Misha Singh. It is my married name. Original maiden name was Misha Rontra. I come from southeastern Poland. I left the country forcibly removed when I was about eight years old. What was the name of the village or town where you lived? Jarczowce. When war broke out, Second World War broke out, the territory in the east, which was given to Poland at the end of World War I, displaced some Ukrainians. There were many Ukrainians who were living under Polish rule. I don't think there were any disadvantages which they faced, but I'm not certain of that. But they still held many grievances. But the fact that they were being forced to live under Polish control, that was a treaty which underwent some changes the treaty which came into effect at the end of World War I. Many people have commented that the train was usually reserved to transport cattle from one locality to another. Now it was being converted to carry people from Poland who were being forcibly removed. Of course, we didn't know where we were going because originally we were told that we were going for a holiday. It certainly did not look like a journey at the beginning of a holiday. The carriages were not very clean and they did not seem to be welcoming or comfortable. There were many scenes of grieving. People were leaving friends and relatives behind why they, in particular, were chosen to go on the so-called holiday trip, no one could tell them. Of course, most of the adults realised that it was a euphemism to call the prospective journey a journey for a holiday. There was something else involved, as indeed we eventually discovered. Once they loaded us onto the train, They advised people to get some snow into buckets so that there would be water to drink. And the train sped on. Maybe many adults had an idea in what direction the train was going. As a child, it 
was just strange to me. I did have my mother there, so she was a source of comfort. I felt probably, so long as she is here, no evil would befall me. She was as confused as so many others. She had no idea what was going on. I don't remember how long the journey took, but eventually we arrived at our destination. It was an area covered with thick forest. It was winter time, so the snow was deep. The air was very cold. Trucks were waiting there to transport us to wherever we were going. After a relatively short trip, we arrived at the destination. We saw a number of large buildings. We were later told that the transport which has brought us to the place where we, we were going to spend well over a year was reserved usually for cattle, for transport of produce. They assigned us to go to the specific building where they would direct us. The buildings or the carriages were not particularly clean. It looked as though they have not been used for some time. But we were cold, we were tired, and we looked for somewhere to sleep, to recover from the journey, and also to recover from the fear that uncertainty has brought about. We didn't know where we were, we didn't know why they took us so far away from where we lived and other members of the extended family lived. Little by little we found out was what was going to happen. There was a village nearby, inhabited by Russians who lived there permanently. It looked as the only employment for people was cutting down trees. The large forest provided building materials, and other jobs which were necessary in a time of war. We were also informed about the rules of living there. All able-bodied adults were going to work, cutting down trees which would then be taken to centers where transport and other necessities would be taken care of. We were also told that children up to a certain age would be treated as children. That is, they would be required to go to school where they would be taught the Russian language and any other subjects that the children in the school were already involved with. And we were told to await further instructions. So that was our introduction to our new holiday place. We realized that we were probably prisoners in that particular place. Indeed, instructions were given to the limits placed on our movement. We could not go beyond a certain point. You could not go looking for a post office or looking for a larger a gathering of people for looking for a village or a small town. And you were restricted how far from the 
little settlement that was created for prisoners, how far you could go out of the settlement. So in effect, we discovered that we did not have much freedom. Freedom was dictated by the Russian people, by the Russian officials rather than people, and we also realized there would be no point in trying to find out why we were punished, for what were we punished, why were we uprooted from the life that we knew and faced with the life which we didn't know, and we were too frightened to ask for too much information. Can you describe what it was like to live at this place? It was cold. I think the weather or the climate would change as spring approached. Life was very life was very predictable. Life was very regulated. The adults knew at what time they were to assembled and taken to the place where they worked. Children knew at what time the school would start, and they were expected to be there. I remember the first few days you would see adults circulating among the, among the children. We have later discovered they were teachers who came out to see what strange beings have been added to the school population. So after, after a few weeks, life became organized, life became repetitious. Each day was like the last day. I think the adults who went to work in the forest were given some food. Each day was like the last day. So you didn't know what was coming the next day. You could remember what happened in the last day. I don't remember any unpleasantness at school. As in many other instances, it wasn't easy to make friends with the other children. And there were enough Polish children to feel that you could speak to somebody, you can talk to someone. Little by little, maybe the two groups of children came a little bit closer, but language was an obstacle. We did not learn Russian language at school. The emphasis was on the development of the Polish language. Later in high school, of course, children learned other languages, but I can only speak what happened at primary school. I was eight. School starts very often in Europe. I don't know what the situation is now, but in Poland, school started when you were seven. So at age eight, you haven't had much schooling. So you would still be dwelling on working with simple numbers. You could, you would probably still be learning the alphabet. Uh, the stru- structure of the language is so different from the structure of the English language. I think to an English-speaking person, the language appeared difficult. For example, different endings of words 
whether whether it was uh, the masculine gender or the feminine gender, the endings of nouns, the endings of adjectives were also different. To an English person where that rule does not operate, it is a difficult concept to adopt and feel comfortable with. Did your mother work? Yes, my mother worked and my sister worked. After school, I used to go to the forest. The settlement was in the middle of the forest in the hope of getting something that we could eat. There wasn't very much in the winter time, but as spring approached and summer came, there were different fruit that you could find in the forest, blackberries, gooseberries, and of course an abundance of mushrooms. Mushrooms became a very important part of our diet. So in that way, I contributed to the family, to the family ability to use those vegetables and the fruit that I could find in the forest. I could also, once it became abundant, once the summer came and started advancing and it became warmer and warmer, I could also pick enough berries to be able to sell them to the village, to the Russian villages. And you were eight when you I did this? I was eight, probably going on to nine. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was this to pick the berries and sell them to the villagers? Well, it was our idea because uh, I have not wandering. You didn't go very far from the camp, but you did go into the wooded, wooden parts. And going there, we did not see Russian children doing what we were doing. And obviously what we were doing was not illegal because no one has ever stopped us. But you heard adults discussing shortage of provisions. And you just felt by bringing a basket of mushrooms, you could, with some onions and maybe one or two other additives, you could create a meal. So you lived in this prison camp? I don't remember at what time we were given permission to disband and to start looking for a way to move out of the camp and to reach some place where you would be able to get on the train and travel wherever you wanted to go. And then, of course, you are a stranger. You don't know where you want to go. You don't know where you could get help. They also said women and children may go Men may not go. They will be conscripted into the Soviet army. You're listening to 2XFM 98.3. The program is Subject ACT, where we explore local current affairs with a curious and community focus. That was the first part of our story on Polish refugee Misha Singh, which I'll continue with shortly. 
But first I'll direct our attention to recent remarks made by Minister for Immigration and Border Protection, Peter Dutton, who made clear his judgment of current refugees as largely illiterate in English and their native languages. Mr Dutton also claimed refugee intakes would impose further economic strain and threaten Australia's job market. Media fear-mongering projected in full force by the likes of Sky's Paul Murray highlight the federal election is more a contest of which party will best preserve Australia's national entitlement rather than who will best invest in global social capital. This is an excerpt from Sky News. But let's talk about this. Let's imagine, I mean, let's, you know, again, I agree with everything you've just said, but let's, let's take, it to, take it as read that 50,000 happens. 90% uh, recent published reports, 90% of Afghan refugees don't have a job. What on God's earth are these people suggesting about 50,000 people being taken from every hellhole of the world to make sure that not only do they can live in the Australian community, but prosper in it and not just prosper by being here? Because we've had 15 years, virtually, yeah, 15 years of conflict in Afghanistan, and that has produced 90% of refugees who don't have a damn job. Well, for many people, uh, they won't be... Uh... Uh, you know, numerate or literate in their own language, let alone English. And this is a difficulty because uh, the Greens are very close to the CFMEU, as obviously the Labor Party is, and uh, their affiliations with the union movement are obviously are well known. Now, these people would be taking Australian jobs, there's no question about that. And for many of them that would be unemployed, they would languish uh, uh, in unemployment queues uh, and on Medicare and the rest of it. So there would be huge cost, and there's no sense in Sugarcoating that, that's the scenario. Uh, mm. Now, we have a managed program at the moment. It's 13750 a year that we bring in through the refugee program, but we don't bring people and we will not settle people who come off boats. While the economic aspect is highlighted in this grab, what the Coalition failed to address is its continuing policy of human rights neglect. Stay with us now as we continue to hear Polish refugee Misha Singh share her story Set in another time, but relevant to the current issue. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. What work did the adults and older children do? In the camp, if they were considered old enough to work, they worked cutting down trees and loading them onto some, some structure, wooden structures that were built so that you could arrange the trees which have been cut down. Then they would go to a certain place where that timber could be used to build things which would be useful in conducting the war. Misha, this first year of this very long story of yours, how did that change you? Can you remember at the beginning of your experience, you were eight, I can imagine you were scared, uncertain. But within the camp, I hear the story of a little girl, resourceful, collecting berries, contributing to her family, overhearing the needs of the group and then having the initiative to seek those things. To me, there's an arc, there's a a story within this story of your own personal development. Can you describe that or can you speak to that? Was that your experience? The experience, you understood that there was shortage of food. There was also a saying, everybody knew that saying, you do not work, you do not get food. So 
whatever you could do to increase the availability of food which can be cooked and prepared, you felt it was your contribution to make. It was your obligation. This is the beginning of the story, but it gives an idea to people listening to your story where you began. So thank you for starting this story and I feel very honoured that you're sharing that story with me. I look forward to maybe next week or when you can for us to talk again about your story. I look forward to it. I feel it will help people to realise how fortunate are the people in this country. All right, many men have lost their lives in wars but people who have never been invaded, apart from incidents in Second World War. And I hope it will just help people to empathise with those who have gone through the difficulties and the trauma. And sometimes I feel we go through too many traumas. Misha, how did you leave the camp in Russia? When Germany ceased its alliance with the Soviet Union, the people who have been taken forcibly from Poland were told that they were free to leave the camp, that is, women and children. Men of an appropriate age, not too young, not too old, had to stay behind and were compelled to join the Soviet army. No help was given, no help of any description was given to the people who were living in the camp. No money, help, no provision whatsoever of purchasing food. The money that was given probably was sufficient to get a seat on a bus or a train. Misha, what did you have with you when you left? Can you remember what you were carrying, what you were wearing? We had the essential clothing, probably something to wear in the summer and certainly something to wear in the winter. We knew how cold the winter can get. So there wasn't very much to carry. Most certainly we didn't have any cooking pots or plates to eat from. One did not think about those things. So in fact, there wasn't very much, but things like nightwear, heavier things which you would need to wear in the wintertime in order to deal with the extreme cold. What the adults were afraid of that what we had in terms of money would not be sufficient to stay alive for a very long time. However, we were told it was wartime, and those things were not the concern of the government. And of course, you knew better than to argue. People formed groups. Groups consisted of people who were friends or relatives. Our group consisted of my mother, my sister, and myself, and the two aunts, and their family. So this was your mother's sisters? 
The two aunts were my mother's sisters. One had a family of three children. The other aunt did not have any children. Was it winter or summer? Can you remember the season that it was when you left the camp? It was not winter time. For most of the time we slept in the open. We had some uh, cover, some blankets, so that we had a means of survival. How did you travel? How did you...? We left the camp, some idea where to go, some means of keeping ourselves alive. The forests are alive with animals, and you certainly did not want to encounter a visit from them in the night. So we had also means of lighting candles, since they did not like the experience of seeing people. We were afraid of the animals, they were afraid of us. So there was no room for any understanding. My mother was getting weaker and it was important to reach some settlement as soon as we can. I don't remember how many weeks it took us to find a settlement. I don't remember very much about finding food, food outside. We were walking through thickly wooded area. I don't remember what fruit was available growing wild, and I don't remember whether there was any need, any means of cooking the food should we find it in the forest. There was no one to guide us. Very often you encountered a path which we assumed to be a safe way to travel in that particular area. I don't remember ever seeing a car, nor the favorite means of transport, a horse-drawn cart. The journey lasted for weeks. I don't remember the exact time, but the thing that worried us was the fact that mother was very getting very weak. So then eventually we found ourselves in what appeared to be a village, certainly permanently inhabited houses, or we assumed those houses to be permanently occupied by people who lived there. We decided to stop there. It seemed very difficult to continue on the journey. Walking was becoming difficult and very uncomfortable because mother was getting weaker and required a lot of help in walking. A great deal of support was already needed by her. So we found some room near, very close to the railway station. People were very kind. If they had food, they would share it for you. I don't remember being asked to go to anybody's house, but as we walked and sometimes stopped for a day or two, people became accustomed to our faces and greeted us in response to our greeting. We did not feel some collection of people who were different from the Russians then that we encountered on the way. Generally speaking, the Russian people were kind. For us, 
there were two entities in Russia in a limited experience. They were the governing people, not necessarily direct representatives of the government, but people who had authority over other people. And there were the ordinary people working hard in order to survive. Politics were not discussed anyway. Uh, uh, we didn't know enough Russian to be able to talk about politics anyway. One knew that you should avoid talking about anything that would be offensive to those who were administering the labour camps. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. The program is subject ACT for local current affairs from an informed and curious perspective. That was Polish refugee Misha Singh, who made Canberra her home in the 1960s. Misha will share more of her story in the upcoming weeks. On Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT, Doug Dobing addresses cuts to national institutions, including a brief interview with Katie Gallagher, comments from CPSU Deputy Secretary Beth Vincent-Peach and a National Gallery employee. On next week's edition of Subject ACT, I look at gender inequity in politics as we head into a territory and federal election and how this impacts Australia's democracy at large. Coming up next, Community Broadcast Network's topical storytelling all the best. Join us on Subject ACT each weekday from 8.30 till 9am for local current affairs, exploring stories that exist within and because of our ACT community. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day.